Hey, everybody, before we get into the show, we have a major earth-shattering massive announcement. Nikki? Yes, it is that time again, Pete Wright. Our monthly planning membership is open for enrollment. GPS stands for Guided Planning Sessions, if you don't know already. We've worked really hard here at Take Control ADHD to provide you with a service that not only gives you ideas and strategies on how to plan your day and your week, but it also provides time and space for you to do the work and not just by yourself, but with others who understand and support you. We meet every Monday and Thursday, and there are three different sessions for each day that you're invited to attend. We are dedicated to making this membership to be one that is transformative in the way you think about planning and taking control of your time and schedule. There are so many benefits to the GPS membership, so please be sure to visit our website at takecontroladhd.com slash GPS. Enrollment is open now through May 8th. Thank you for your time and attention, and I hope to see you soon. On with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright, and right over there is Nikki Kinzer. Hello, everyone. Nikki, I just have to say, the only bit of news that we have for you is that you have a new driver in the house. I do. I just want to applaud you as a parent, as a mother. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, he just got his license today, and I took a picture of him in his car, and I took a picture of him driving away, and... I was very excited with him or excited for him, but then I'm also like holding my breath. But yeah. You know, uh, it's a big uh, milestone. We're we're still far from that. My daughter, 16 though she is, has zero interest in driving right now. I don't know what to do about it. I'm working on it. I'll 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 get back to you. Yeah, I was uh, gonna say more later we, on that, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> totally. Jury's out. Uh, we have such a great conversation uh, today. We're talking about uh, accepting your ADHD diagnosis, and we have a very special guest and friend of the show back to help us with this conversation. Before we do that, head over to takecontroladhd.com to get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website, or subscribe to our mailing list on the homepage, and uh, we'll email you every time a new episode goes live each week. You can connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at Take Control ADHD. And have you heard about this thing called Patreon? Oh, I'm excited to tell you about it. It's a way for you, dear listener, to help us ensure that the ADHD podcast is a sustainable resource to the ADHD community. But most important, by visiting patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast and sharing as little as five bucks a month with the show, you get access to perks. And one of those perks is a members-only access to the live stream recording of the show and a Q&A with our guests afterward, where you can ask your own questions. Uh, like, do you like Fluffernutter sandwiches, for example? Any question is open for discussion in the post-show Q&A. So check it out. Your support keeps us trucking along here, and it means the world to us. Uh, Patreon.com slash The ADHD Podcast to check out all of the other perks that come with uh, supporting membership. Thank you. Now, there is no one better to help us unravel the complexities of accepting yourself and your diagnosis than our guest today. He's the author of Focused Forward, Navigating the Storms of Adult ADHD. He's a podcaster, and later he's going to tell us all about his new video education series, ADHD from Answers to Action. James Ochoa, welcome back to the ADHD podcast. Well, hi again, Nikki and Pete. We uh, seem to uh, have not lost any of my authentic measure of having ADHD myself, as uh, <laughs> as I'm 
I'm currently deep breathing and recovering from my technological difficulties in getting this set up uh, and watching the emotional distress syndrome, as I aptly uh, describe in my professional writing. I get to experience it in front of everyone as we go on. <laughs> there's just no, there's no getting out of it. That's well, right. you're very honest and authentic, James, but you have to know the camera wasn't rolling. So you just, you're just outing it uh, as a, a moment <laughs> well, of discomfort. I, but, and I, I, I applaud your authenticity. Well, I tell you, Pete, there's really not another way around it because, you know, otherwise I would just keep all that ball inside. Maybe like Nikki's keeping the ball at her side as she watched her 16-year-old drive <laughs> off this morning. That's right. <laughs> Very similar feeling, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> You know, uh, uh, but before we get started, I tease that you're a podcaster, James, uh, and I'm very excited about the complex. And I know you have some uh, technical uh, support issues that happen to be uh, living in grad school right now. But uh, we're very excited. Are we going to get more episodes of the complex? We we are. What you're going to get is uh, the evolution of the podcast is going to move to what's called shiny shorts. And so shiny shorts is coming. And so it's going to be the, po- the complex uh, presents shiny shorts, which are going to be five to six minute blips and blasts about how to live with ADD and the emotional and mental stress on a daily basis. I will say we have recorded the first couple of them in my graduate school son, who is technologically overwhelmed in his own world right now. Uh, we're planning to finalize the production of those here in December. Uh, and so at the beginning of the year, you'll be starting to get uh, on the platform, the complex platform, you'll be getting shiny shorts. Uh, and uh, just just as a part of this, I will send you uh, the new logo that we've come up with and you can put it on your page later. Oh, uh, of course. Uh, that Jules has come up with. It's a lot. Of, it, it's already a lot of fun. I can only imagine. <laughs> What shiny shorts is going to look like as a logo? <laughs> well, let's just say we kept it very family centric. Yes. <laughs> so it's not rated uh, mature. It, it, it's still going to be okay for it, it is. It is. Everyone. Jules, I, I, I might not show you the, the first versions of the logo we, we flipped through, but. <laughs> I can only imagine. Awesome. Anyway, no, it's going to be very tasteful. And I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I am actually super excited about it. Life continues to evolve very quickly uh, at the Life Empowerment yeah. Center as usual. So, But yes, we'll have shiny shorts coming uh, in early January, uh, five to six minute, real quick blast uh, on how to deal with Excellent. ADD. Happy New Year with shiny shorts. Fantastic. There you go. All right, Nikki, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, about this. How to, first of all, before we uh, we start draining James, his valuable expertise on yes. this show, uh, how did this come up? Why did why did this uh, why was this topic uh, of accepting your diagnosis? Why was this uh, so important for us today? Right. Well, it's a good question because uh, you know, as I've said before, when I choose topics for the show, um, I listen to whatever the universe is telling me to talk about. And when things come up more than once or twice or three times, you got to pay attention. And acceptance of ADHD became a big 
conversation piece in a lot of my client work, a lot of my um, coaching groups. And uh, so, so much, in fact, that in one of the coaching group weekly workshops, I did a workshop on accepting ADHD. And I took everything out of James Ochoa's book, uh, <laughs> Focus Forward. I gave you all the credit, James. Thank you. <laughs> I... I said, none of this is me. This is all him. And uh, and we had a great conversation around what this means um, to people and how I think it's it's um, it's more than just, you know, strategies and tools and structures and systems. It, it You got to, I think, do this work first, you know, before you even really look at the strategies and tools and systems of your ADHD is to really understand how it affects you and accepting that it's still going to show up. And I think that a lot of people hope that if they put a strategy in place, then all of a sudden their ADHD is going to go away. And then they get disappointed when it doesn't. And so, um, yeah, this is why I thought the best person to talk about acceptance and ADHD is James. And I'm so glad that you um, are here with us today. And I thought a good place for us to start is if people have not read your book, I would like you to describe to listeners what the emotional distress syndrome is, because I think it is important that people tie that into why we're talking about this acceptance piece. Great. Great. Uh, and I certainly appreciate uh, the applause, and I'm really humbled by it in so many ways, because I still discuss that I'm a single person in South Austin, Texas, looking to change the world on the emotional and mental stress of ADD. It's real clear to me, uh, the feedback I've gotten from lots of folks, Nikki. And so if you look at the emotional distress syndrome of ADHD, it's the mental and emotional um, disruption that spins off of the diagnosis. And a lot of that spinning off starts as a neurological response reaction, as I talk about it now. And so if you're constantly disorganized, I don't finish things, I say things I didn't want to, I'm misunderstood, you and I could talk for weeks about how that shows up. Well, knowing you have ADHD or not throughout your life, it's still going to disrupt you. Um, and so the emotional distress syndrome is that cumulative effect of what I talk about psychologically is an exponential factor. So when you get a cumulative effect of things that add on, and then suddenly one plus one doesn't equal two, it equals six. Because for the failure time at 21 or 35 or 57, where I am, you suddenly implode. Uh, and, and I guarantee you, my little disruption I authentically pulled up at the very beginning, it, there's just absolutely no way 20 years ago, okay, that I could have recentered so simply, laughed about it, been genuine about it, and maintained my, ex maintained my stature as an expert. Uh, but now mm -hmm. it's common day and I do it. Uh, so that acceptance piece uh, around the emotional distress syndrome to me, 30 years later, right in the pocket, this is the conundrum. And I will debate anyone on this planet Earth about ADHD that this is the thing you have to understand and learn to manage and navigate your life with. So in your book, you have a chapter dedicated to tools that are going to help you get through the storm 
right? To get through the navigating the storms of ADHD. I'm going to read a quote real quick from the book, from the book. It says, the tools I'm about to introduce to you are meant to strengthen that sense of loving and supporting yourself. If you can do that, you can reset yourself whenever you hit a roadblock, a setback, or anything that restarts your brain in panic mode. It's exactly what you just talked about. Yes. And there is nothing more important, one, to have that so simply understood. You know, it's validated. We all go through this in the diagnosis of ADHD. Uh, But two, you talk about acceptance. The acceptance piece in so much of this, right, Nikki, is that it doesn't go away. And so having the tools Mm -hmm. also means that I'm constantly honing and evolving my own tools. I could tell you how I'm doing that in different ways. Uh, and I could tell you that the two or three that I used right here were, you know, humor or a cognitive kind of restructuring of my mind of how big this is or deep breaths that I was taking that y'all couldn't see off camera. Uh, the consideration <laughs> of other things near me, white noise, kind of grounding little, you know, there's a, a, a rose quartz here that I could hang on to. All those things I'm doing. Uh, pretty quickly to recenter and reset myself. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. um, The authentic nature of the book is it's a, um, it's a tool on one end, but it's a living entity on another that I want people to keep around for themselves to be able to read. And, you know, all right, so I'll tell you, and I've, and maybe I've said this on other podcasts that, you know, my book is my own resource. It is the strangest thing as a professional Mm -hmm. I have my own personal copy in my briefcase. And yes, you can only imagine that I signed my own personal copy to myself. Okay. <laughs> well, of course. But, <laughs> but that's the level of strength we need, Nikki, to be able to believe and love and yeah. care for ourselves. We talk about this loving, caring self. That's not egotistical. That's meaningful. I literally wrote a very personal note to myself in my own book. It's I, I kind of roll my eyes. It's just bizarre in some ways, but it works. It works. That's the key element of this. It works. It's amazing, and it takes me back to uh, to my own experience with my diagnosis. And that's what when I we started talking about this topic of conversation, that immediately is where I go uh, because you know I I remember that feeling of of being diagnosed came with with two immediate emotional responses. One was, oh my God, hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a word that describes, uh, there's, there's something that describes the conditions that I've been experiencing all my life. And number two is, <laughs> what the hell do I do Oh my now? gosh, right? yes. That is yeah. the first and grandest ADHD storm uh, for me, the one that, that I just, like, now I have words to describe it and suddenly I am failing. And I think the, uh, that element that you're describing of what the, what do I do now? Okay, that can so quickly spin into uh, a stuckness that you're in. And I've seen people stay stuck in that for years. And so I'm a I'm clearly on the hunt. And my next evolution as a professional is in training every professional in the mental health field about what this is and how to manage it. Because if someone gets a diagnosis, Pete, but doesn't get tools or strategies and they're just told that they have this, I'm a little, I, I get a little unsensed because mm-hmm. to me, it, it can all, it can add to the problem inadvertently. So I wrote a great blog back in May called Intervention Fatigue, which is the number of times that adults with ADD reach for help, but don't m- hit the mark. 
okay? Uh, and I could talk to mm-hmm. you about the, the 19-year-old who had, has had 16 interventions in her life. Uh, that is just until she could really understand how she processes information, she really had no, nothing to stand on to do anything with. So I'm a little, I'm a, it's kind of my fervor at the moment in wanting to, other professionals to really wake up at a level that's, I'm not saying it's bad treatment out there. I'm saying there is a level or layer of treatment in the mental and emotional stress that must be understood. It really needs to be. So what I'm hearing you say is that you've got to, you have to understand the emotional pieces and all of the things that you talk about how to get through these storms in order really to even know what's going to work for you. Because it sounds like this person was maybe given advice or strategies that that weren't really for her, or maybe she didn't know to tweak them. Or I, I, mean, I can just imagine the all or nothing thinking that, well, this didn't work for me, so it's not going to work at all. Well, right, or whatever. because what I mean, happens is you're given good information, but each time you're given information, there is an element of someone figuring it out for you. Okay versus starting from the inside out, which is, whoa, 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 let's slow this down. Let's teach you neurological brain development along the lines of learning. Let's look at how that works for you. You're changing the element of the process by educating someone in an area that certainly many people with ADHD have the IQ for. So if you start to teach them, now I've shifted the conversation from one where I'm analyzing and putting a spotlight and observing and trying to figure it out for you to saying, hey, you've got a lot of value inside. Let's get inside and start rooting around. And I will tell you, almost bar none, what I discover many times over is that the resources an individual have available to them that they're using, they don't know why, they feel they're quirky, they're weird, they're unusual, I can't tell anyone about them. And so suddenly they've become a dysfunctional secret, right, that they're keeping. And so I validate that aspect of what they're doing that is working. And because I'm one that says, I don't want to go recreate a strategy for someone uh, that I don't have to. Someone may be doing something very effectively, uh, but not understood why. Suddenly I understand why the anxiety goes away because I don't have to worry about being weird. In fact, it was brilliant. It's the most important thing I could have done for myself. Now we're off to the races in a completely different way. The more I get into this, okay, I'm two and a half years. uh, It'll be three years in February that my book has come out. It has done nothing but open this chasm, Nikki and Pete, that is, uh, it was already emotional for me. Now it's becoming overwhelmingly emotional in the degree of disruption that I see, that I know I can help, okay? And I really applaud things like uh, the Taking Control of ADHD podcast and the real nature with which you deal with things uh, and getting the word out on how to manage this. But it is just not okay with me for someone to feel like they are broken. I'm wrong. There's something wrong with me. And so that's the first thing to be able to tell people, and that's what I want them to hear here, is that, no, you're just not been educated well about how you got put together and the nth degree with which you run a spectrum on this planet neurologically. Your patterns are very fine-tuned and if like a very fine-tuned fast pitcher, you can throw a 102-mile-an-hour fastball, but if, if it gets chaotic or wild, it could be dangerous. But if you know how to use it, 
there are so many other things you can do with it. But so I'm such a champion of uh, finding your passion and doing things that work for you. But so many people never get there because they're so disordered and disrupted inside because they don't know why things are happening the way they are. You are famously candid in your writing and on the blog and in your, you know, in the, the work that you do. And I know uh, having previewed a, a bit, though not all, of the uh, of your upcoming video series that you uh, you're equally candid there about your own experience. Do you remember the story of uh, the the first time you actually felt like there was hope after your own diagnosis that you could find a sense of control and, and peace? It's a really good question. So, you know, you're, I'm going to thread, obviously, personal, professional, uh, and my own internal world that yeah. many times I'll reveal on different levels. But I would say it was about 2002. I had been treating this professionally since 89. I understood the mental and emotional stress for about 97, 98. So about five or six years, I knew the stress wasn't going away. and I knew we had to find a way to deal with it. So I had good strategies. I had uh, hired my executive assistant for my practice. I had all those things in gear, but I felt so disrupted inside. And when I started to get hope, Pete, was when I started to literally build the imaginary worlds I talk about and began to use them for resource. So when I began to calm myself, uh, behind my 100-foot waterfall in my head of my imagination. And I could actually calm myself when I had just failed at something. I went to bed, and I, there was about a two-week period of time that I'm like, oh, my gosh, this could actually work. Now, at that time, 16 years ago, we had a little science about imagination and the power of it. So I'm thinking, though, as a professional, I've got a conundrum. How do I explain this to people? And I actually did a keynote in 2003, mm -hmm. which had all these uh, butterflies and metamorphosis and we go through all this, which was great. But I couldn't talk about the science of the mind yet because we weren't evolved enough. So the hope came from Pete that period of time in which I really felt a sense of calm I hadn't had before. But it came from this odd world of my imagination. And I'm like, oh, my gosh how in the heck am I going to be able to marry these two together uh, so that people can use it and believe it? But for myself personally, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question professionally. It's a great question, but it's about that period of time. And that's where within that year is when I came up with the emotional distress syndrome uh, terminology and the understanding of it. Because as I dove into it, I'm like, okay, we've got to have a platform that makes sense for people uh, to understand what this is. Because that's one of your other tools is the tool of imagination. And you you talk about that safe place. So for people that have not heard our original interview when we first interviewed you, can you explain just a little bit more about that? I can. And I, I think I've actually gotten much more um, uh, effective at simply putting that in terms. So uh, if people pull their imagination from their childhood or an imagination of a vacation they've been on uh, in a beach or a mountaintop or somewhere that they were that felt time-stopping, that felt very calming to them, okay? If you pull back that memory and hold yourself there in just that place and you begin to, what I call, is video editing. So you make changes to that scene in your head that you went to uh, say you're on a beach in Tahiti, and 
uh, it was 95 degrees, but you want it to be 75 degrees, okay? So you change the temperature in your mind's eye of your imagination. Now you have video edited, but you have powerfully created a neurological pattern that is personal to you that's very safe and feels good to you. So you can take something from your everyday life that you've experienced, make some changes that really personalize it for you, and that's the beginning of a safe space. I just want to put this in context. So I so somebody is having a really crazy day. They're chaos, you know, chaos in the house. They can't find anything. The house is a mess because they've been looking for something. Kids are late. They're coming in, you know, to work late. Boss is giving them a glare. So how do they get to that safe place? Do they sit down and close their eyes? Do they need to be by themselves? Do they need like how do you get there when you're in that storm? And so what you would do in, in what I would call preempting storms, okay, how do you get there? You begin to put um, triggers around you to remind yourself of that place. It's a picture from this beach that you were on. It's on your phone. It's on your refrigerator. Uh, there's a poster of it you made that you put in your living room that you always see. So when you glance at that picture or see it, okay, it triggers that element of that neurological pattern to begin to counterbalance the stress. And that's one, one of the ways I talk about it now. It's like if you have a majestic oak tree that you've always uh, built tree houses in as a kid and you see a majestic oak tree uh, on your way to work every day, you put the tag of the reminder of what that is so it triggers the thought process so that when you're in a storm, you have a greater likelihood that you're going to be able to grab it or use it. Um, and so does that help some on kind of how to transition? Yes. In fact, it, it's a great idea. So if you're, I, I mean, I'm just thinking um, if your safe space is uh, the beach or something around the beach or a vacation that you had, just a simple picture of the beach could give you that reminder that you need to to go there before you keep spiraling or right. That's kind of what you're saying or to ha it's a it's a trigger. It's a it's a positive trigger. Yes. But if you think about now, all right, you could create your imagination. And the term I use, right, is strategic therapeutic daydreaming. All right. You're you're. You're dreaming in your imagination on purpose. And if if others want to, uh, I think I did a great job in my podcast, The Complex, in episode six of Afterthoughts, where I'm talking about strategies, do a great job there on the science of the mind discussing this further so that people can hear my theoretical ideas. You can take that piece of information, okay, of the beach or whatever, but you want to begin to layer strategies and triggers. Okay, to, to support yourself. So now it might be your favorite color is purple. So you're always going to wear something purple every day. Okay, uh, your favorite uh, drink is some sparkly kind of drink that you always make sure you have in the refrigerator. You begin to resource yourself. And I, about oh, five weeks ago or so, I walked around my environment and began counting the number of resources. And I stopped at 75. Because I had only barely begun in two or three rooms of my home, I've got them everywhere. And I'm telling you, it's a counterbalance to the mental and emotional stress that spins off of this that I call the distress syndrome, right? Um, and that is the counterbalance. But they're all personalized. I mean, y'all heard them about my beads and 
All kinds of things. Oh, yeah. In fact, I have them. I have You sent me some beautiful beads. Uh, Pete, I got to get your address. Can't leave you out of this. Uh, yes. I'm telling you, man, I'm you. right okay. here. I have okay. them on my vision board right, right behind me. Right. Yes, I do. And, they're, and, and you know what he says? He says, beautiful beads bring joy and smiles to the world. And I put that oh, out there, too, because I love, I love so that. Cool. Yeah, yeah. But I got to say, James, something that I love what you said is you have to resource yourself. Yeah. I love that. That feels tangible to me, right? I mean, that really makes sense. Okay. I want to go back to acceptance. So you say in the book, acceptance gives you the courage to face your ADHD. I love that statement, too. Courage. Correct. Mm-hmm. Expand more on what you meant when you wrote that sentence. What were you thinking? If yeah, you remember, well, <laughs> I, mean, I can. I it's well, it's not a while. <laughs> it's been a while, but it hasn't. And because, right, um, in the sense that I'm constantly referring to my own book with myself. I mean, the whole piece spins together. But when we look at that idea of courage, and that uh, acceptance gives me that courage. First of all, you have to understand uh, acceptance is not a singular event. Okay, most people will say acceptance that I'm five foot six and I'm probably shrinking at my age now um, is something I can accept. That's my height. Okay, the reality is this is an acceptance initially of the condition or the neurology or this is how my uh, brain is set up. But acceptance becomes an evolution in that it's an ongoing space of development so that my acceptance at 57 is very different than it was when I was 40 years old and my children were uh, very young kids and I was having to accept my ADHD for different reasons. So when you accept it on that realm, the courage you get from that is that, wait a minute, okay, I don't, it, this isn't going to go away. I've accepted that. Now I'm learning to live with it. But see, each year I live with it, uh, Nikki, in this way, those resources build up exponentially. Now, remember I said earlier, you have an exponential factor on the distress side of the coin that's going to build up and into these storms that really throw you out of center. On the reverse, when you begin to resource yourself and accept this and keep accepting it in the next layers of who I am now as a professional, my kids are grown. Now, what do I have to do to manage my ADHD and resource myself? Those also become ones that I never forget. This is why I've got this, you know, this little rock here, right, from my wife. This is, by the way, 27 years old. This was, we've only been married 30 years. I've had this rock 27 years. That's a resource that now has a layer of, uh, of connection to it that helps as I grow within my diagnosis and gives me courage on an ongoing basis. Does that make enough sense in explaining it that way? I think it makes sense. And I think it's such a real answer, right? There is no just, oh, you're going to accept it in 30 days, you know, or, or it, it, you know, once you accept it, you know, everything's going to be just fine. I mean, what I'm hearing is it is an evolution. It is, you know, depending on where you are in your life. It's going to look different. ADHD is going to look different. Your acceptance is going to look different. Your resources are going to look different. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's beautiful. And it's why I love your work. 
I mean, I think that you really do have a voice that that uh, you don't hear. You just don't hear very often from other ADHD experts. And so it's it's so important. Um, in your book, you have a bullet point of accept and then you have like a, a statement. And um, this is what I went through with my group. So when I had my group, I said this, you know, accept uh, that your brain chemistry is the way it is. Don't label it as something that's wrong with you, bad or broken. And we mentioned that earlier, right? Because yeah. you're like, you you need right. to know you're not broken. Right. You don't need to be fixed. Now, I want to encourage people if they don't have your book to get, to get your book. Absolutely. <laughs> For sure. Um, but I do have a question on on one of them, to, or a couple of these accepts. One of them was that you say, accept that you'll always have to bring your brain back into balance. What does that mean exactly? And I appreciate you uh, bringing actually that one up, because if I was to look at what's occurred two and a half years later after the book, right, uh, I feel like I'm honing my skills on what is most important in the diagnosis of ADHD and how to manage it uh, outside of now uh, birthing an entirely new passion of teaching other professionals how to deal with it. Um, so accepting at the level with which uh, you're discussing there, part of what happens is my mind just went completely blank and you're going to have to go back and read that again. So I'm going to be totally authentic. Oh my <laughs> God. I'm like, I could, I it's could probably awesome. go back and try to pull that or uh, that is an ADD blip. That was nope. so funny. I will just, I'll <laughs> just repeat it. <laughs> Except that you'll always have to oh bring your God. brain back is, into balance. That is just so like funny. Right now. That's how you do it, first of all, right? You applaud. You just authentically go into yes. the space. So look, the back into balance piece starts with you have an enormous amount of distress, mental and emotional stress that spins off of this condition. It's not going to go away. I believe that the counterbalance to that is you stress or positive stress. Now, 90% of my life is positive stress of I am riding the roller coaster I built. And I guarantee you, when I ride that roller coaster nine times and it's all exciting, I'm going to be nauseous at the end of it because positive stress has a certain huge intensity to it that negative stress does too. So when I'm talking about balance, I'm talking about on a daily basis coming back into center. So coming back into center mm. means uh, if you look at my mindful meditation uh, concepts, there's a couple that have evolved over the last couple of years called micro meditations or uh, slow motion. So micro meditations to me are one, two, three minute meditations throughout your day. Stop and sit and breathe, gaze at the sun, uh, do lots of things to slow yourself down. Slow motion is nothing more than slowing your actions of whatever you're doing by 25%. And it brings your brain into that curious observation mode. So if I walk from here to the car and I walk 25% slower, suddenly I feel the cool breeze or I hear the birds singing and I start to rebalance. Well, that idea of rebalancing throughout your day becomes an insulative factor of going out of balance, whether it's distress or eustress, eustress or positive stress, which is a lot of something that's good. Um, so that balance piece is probably my current, I, it's probably going to wind up to be a top five without a doubt 
um, of the critical factors, I think, that's, that's, that's what's evolving now for me, that these are the critical factors to manage the mental and emotional stress of ADD. I think rebalancing throughout your day like that is one of them. So a couple other ones that I want to share that don't necessarily, I mean, I think they're pretty self-explanatory, but again, they just really um, are meaningful. Except that ADHD is not the main feature of your identity. It's just something about you, far from the only thing about you. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah. So I I would say if I look at my ADHD, it's an interesting perspective. Um, it is not the only thing about me. It may color much of my life, but it is because mm-hmm. if I look about who I am as a father, a professional, an artist, uh, an expert counselor, and these kinds of things, there are many things about me. So it's not like I have shoved it off to the side or just forced it into the background. No, it's an integrative process. It says, I get the quirks about my neurology. I understand the character or the sensitivity of myself going out of balance. Now it's an integrated whole, which is anybody would understand in psychology is what you want to get after is this integrated whole Mm -hmm. that I really know who I am across a lot of spectrums. But again, if you haven't understood the mental and emotional stress that spins off of this, you're in, you're just in a world of hurt literally. And it's unfortunate because you don't, it's almost impossible to integrate because it feels like it takes over the space. And this is what I work with with so many adults now on an ongoing basis who just haven't understood it well. That's that's such a, a funny uh, kind of experience to hear you talk about this because I, I get that too. And the, the whole idea that, for example... Uh, I'm I'm kind of a tall guy at six two. Like I'm not I, I'm I'm not a giant. I have taller friends, but uh, you know I'm not a good candidate <laughs> to drive around in a clown car. <sighs> right now, the shame that comes from that, like all things being equal, I shouldn't even want a clown car. Right. But the world comes to me <laughs> and says, all the cars out there are clown cars. You need to be driving a clown yeah. car, and four other people just like you can fit in the clown car, probably with you. So you should be in that clown car. That's ADHD for me. Like, yes, it is ADHD. There's nothing about ADHD for me that's any different than the way my height influences the way I walk in and out of my life right throughout the day. It's just another trait. But why? But nobody makes me feel shame as an adult about my height because I can't fit in a clown car. Why do I end up with uh, with so many uh, circumstances and not so more any so much anymore, but, you know, so many circumstances where services just don't exist to support uh, those of us who live with this neurological sort of atypical circumstance. It's frustrating. That's the frustration. But but even look at that situation, Pete, that you described. If you once you knew about what it was suddenly uh, you can have the creativity to say, well, I'm going to have yeah. a clown car, but it's going to be a convertible so I can fit in it. Right. That's right. I'm going to take out the front seat right. and I'm going to sit in the back seat right. just like Shaq So now did, I'm going right? to personally yeah. modify it because I feel confident enough. But if I didn't feel confident enough and someone keeps pointing at me and indicating things I don't understand about myself, it's pretty quickly, it's easy to implode. It's very easy to just go south emotionally and shut down. Well, and especially because when you're early in your diagnosis, again, when you're in that, you don't have the confidence to be able to speak out about how you you live in the world. You, You aren't able to counter that kind of experience with, hey, 
you support me. Uh, this is how it works for me. That's yes. how, that's something that we have yes, now. Much more 20 so, years later, but right? I don't think we're anywhere near <clears throat> a balancing point, in my opinion, of uh, of the, the, uh, the amount of treatment that needs to be out there that's effective. I don't think we are, but that's getting back to one of the things you said earlier, things we want people to hear out of this conversation. For me, a number one, eight o'clock day one is that that one of the great gifts you can give yourself in living with an ADHD diagnosis is practicing expressing the confidence of living with the ADHD diagnosis. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's a very well put. Well, and it's such an interesting connection when you start talking about when you're accepting your ADHD and then how that builds your confidence. That's going to as as that, you know, gets or as it it evolves, your confidence is going to get better and more comfortable buying a clown car that you can tweak. I mean, it, it the connection is so strong. Okay, I know we need to wrap it up, but there's two more accepting little things that you had on there that I want to talk about. Sure, because go I for think it. This, this next one was so interesting to me because it's not what you hear. Accept yourself. Notice I didn't say love yourself or try not to hate yourself or repeat positive affirmations to yourself about yourself. Never mind all of that. Just right now for this moment, accept yourself. I love that. And I think it's different because most people are going to say, and I've said this, have positive affirmations. You know, let's think about the positive. So, uh, yeah. What, what, what were you thinking when you wrote that? What I'm thinking is that at the end of the day, based on the beauty or the simplicity or the uh, unique nature of who each of us is in our lifetime, okay, if you simply accept that, as a powerful measure of value, that I, I, I'm valuable because I woke up and I'm breathing this morning, okay? We with ADHD or in, in general, right, we're told we have to add on. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to. And I'm like, no. So I just wanted to pull it all the way back to a very, very deep center, Nikki, because um, yeah. my ability to accept myself exactly as I am in the moment is so critically important because if I don't do that, I'm going to lose balance in all kinds of other ways. Okay. Well, and that goes to the last quote that I'm going to have. Obviously, I'm a big fan of yours. I appreciate the champion. <laughs> is that, no. And I don't think this was part of the bullet point. I think this is just something else I found in the book. But it said, accepting your ADHD is not going to make your stress go away. ADHD will happen and still get in the way. But how you talk to yourself about, about it can be different. It's the how you talk to yourself is the critical element. And that's the rebuilding mm-hmm. of the relationship with yourself. Again, all the way to the point, I'm, I, I don't think I've ever said, you know, y'all have had more, you've got me on more first, I think, nationally than most anyone else, um, that I've written in my book to myself. I've not <laughs> told anyone that because it feels like such an, but I'm like, no, that is where it is. So that acceptance of myself is an element that says, I really know who I am. And that when you do that, you really do build a friendship, you build an advocacy, you build a sense of being able to champion for yourself so that I can go by the clown car, modify it and say, hey, I know myself and this is how I did it. Okay, that's a very different place to be in the world. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. And uh, let's just say how delightful it is that clown car is becoming an ADHD thing. So exactly. whatever we can do to push that forward, uh, you go. I'm, I'm all in. Uh, clown car yes. emoji coming to the community very soon. Yes, uh, yes, yes. There you go. Uh, this has been delightful. Nikki, do we have anything, any other questions well, we want to I just want him to share what his video series is coming That's right. Because, yes, let's talk about that. It's, it's plug time, James. Yes. I, well, I really appreciate it. So uh, one of the things, one of the last products I really wanted to get at initially was my video education series, which is literally my um, uh, 30 years of my work, theoretically, me talking to you on camera with a PDF outline that you can take notes on. Um, and all of that is something that uh, you can get on my website now. as uh, So you can sit and listen to me, and I can talk directly to you about what this is and isn't, so that you can also begin to get to understand the ideas of behind imagination and the science of the mind. And all of these pieces that I think are critical aspects that we've got to get our heads around. And so that was one of the pieces beyond the book the podcast, and now this video education series. And my next big layer is, like I said, going to be teaching professionals, which is I'm going to launch officially next year online as an education series for professionals to really learn about what I know about this and how to treat it. I love it. I love it. And and uh, I, I I have been going through a couple of these uh, this morning as in preparing for this conversation. And I have to tell you, they're wonderful for ADHD folks uh, being able to, you know, they're they feel maybe like you're going to look at them and you're going to say, oh, that's that one's 38 minutes. I need to I'm not going to be able to sit still for that long. But you should you should not say that to yourself because James has broken them up into perfect bite sized chunks for people just like me. Uh, you can find them at tlec.info. Is that the best place you want people to go? Yes, to uh, tlec.info or jamesochoa.com. Uh, and those links can be put on there, but you can find me. And all those are on my front website uh, on how to get purchases for that. Excellent. James Ochoa, thank you so much for hanging out with us for the last yes. hour. We so, so appreciate your time. Absolutely. So much fun. Thank you so much for having me on again. We are uh, we're going to sign off the podcast now. Thank you, uh, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We sure appreciate your time and your attention. Uh, on behalf of James and Nikki, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next time right here on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast.